James chapter one, let's open the word of prayer and we'll dig into the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord, and we, as we go to your word now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We know, Lord, that your word is, is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword, and we ask that you would prepare every heart here to receive what you have for us. The words of man are a waste of time, but the word of God transforms lives. So be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said. Amen. All right, review. We talked about, we were in James chapter one last week, the first eight verses, but let me remind you a little bit. Remember, James had rejected Jesus until after the resurrection. And why is that significant? Because James was Jesus's brother. He's the half-brother of Jesus Christ, contrary to what some religions might tell you. Uh, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She had more children. Brother, Jesus had brothers and sisters. But James is a brother of Jesus who rejected the Savior, even though he grew up with him. Which goes to, tell, which goes to show you that every one of us has to make our own, uh, make our own choice about who Jesus is going to be in our life. Guys, uh, you know, when we stand before God on judgment day, nothing else will matter, but what have you done with God's son? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else will matter. Well, he was referred to as James the Just. He was basically the overseer of all of the, all of the church in Jerusalem. This book was written not many years after Jesus ascended into heaven. The temple was still there, but there was great persecution taking place with the Christian church. And the persecution had caused the church to spread out uh, under that persecution. What Satan means for evil, God will use for good. They're being persecuted, which all that did is spread the gospel. And so as we looked at chapter one last week, the first eight verses, I titled the message, Marks of a Mature Christian. And we saw last week, and if you weren't here, you can go on our website or YouTube or Vimeo. We got it everywhere. How do you see yourself and how do you see Jesus? See, the first thing that is important about us as believers is how do we recognize who we are? We saw in James chapter 1, even though James is the brother of Jesus, he referred to himself as a bondservant. The word there is doulos. It means a slave by choice. Guys, let me clue you in. He's the master. We're his servants, not the other way around. Amen? We don't tell Jesus anything. We don't demand anything of the Lord. We don't command him. We don't stop that when you're praying and please don't do it in front of me because it's nauseating. I de Jesus, I demand that you. No, we don't demand Jesus. We don't tell Jesus. We don't question Jesus. We come humbly and broken before him. Amen. So we know who the Lord is. And we know who we are. He's Jesus Almighty God. He is Yeshua, the Lord of salvation. He's the Messiah, the Christ, and we are slaves. Now, a bondservant is a slave by choice. Somebody who recognizes the, the, the love that their master has for them and the love they have for their master, and they choose to remain with him even when they could leave. Then we saw how to respond to trials and tribulations of life. You talk about a divine appointment. My son goes to heaven on Friday, and we're teaching on Sunday, and as you know, we go verse by verse. We looked at how to, how to deal with trials and tribulation. We talked about the fact that a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Without a test, there is no testimony, and we are called to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Now, joy, as we know, it means glad tidings. It doesn't mean that we don't, when we go through trials, it's easy. 
Uh, certainly for my family right now, our hearts have just been ripped out of our chest. There's just no other way to describe it. And it's a pain I never want any of you to experience. I know some of you have. But that being said, he's the God of all comfort. And he comforts us in times of great trials. And you know what? When we go through trials, that's when we grow the most. So we want to use, if you want to be used mightily by God, just remember that those, everyone in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. There's no one in scripture that was used mildly that didn't suffer greatly. I can't find one. And part of the reason is that that's how we grow. And then we, found, then we finished off with where do you turn for wisdom, knowledge, and direction. When you're in difficulty, do not run to the world for answers. Run to the Lord. Don't go to 1-800-PSYCHIC. Don't, don't care what Dr. Phil has to say. Don't get a self-help book. And do not go to an, a counselor that doesn't know Jesus because we are called not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. So I, the, an ungodly counselor doesn't need, I don't need her counselor, she needs mine, amen? Because we have Jesus and they don't, amen? So I want to encourage you, if you want to mess yourself up when you're going through a trial, run to the world for answers and they'll give you a bunch of nonsense, amen? So now, as we come to this morning's text, marks of a mature Christian as we continue on, being reflected uh, again in the life of believers, we're going to see that how, you know, belief is reflected in behavior, we say this about all the, all the different letters that are written in the Bible. It's always, here's what we believe, now here's how we behave. Here's what the Word of God has taught us, here's how we apply it to our life. The book of James is a little different because this book was not written to a specific church, but all churches at the time. And we're going to see it's one of the most practical books in Scripture. Some have said it's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And what it does, it just gives us very clear and direct ways that we can respond to the truth of the gospel. Here's the three points. How, how we view the temporary riches of this world. Much of the world thinks the scoreboard for success is how much money you have. Certainly where we live here in Southern California, uh, there's a lot of very, very wealthy people. And look, there's nothing inherently wrong with being wealthy as long as your wealth is not the thing you worship or the way you think that your life is, uh, you know, makes you a success. You know, the Bible says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it's not impossible, but it's a, it's a distraction. Rockefeller was asked how much money you need to be happy. He said a little bit more. So it's not a measure of success. It just isn't. You know what? We need to recognize that our finances are all belong to the Lord. If you've never been here to church before, we don't even pass an offering, and we never will as long as I'm the pastor. And we know that where God guides, God provides. That being said, where your treasures, there your heart will be also. And you can often tell what's the priority in your life by looking in your checkbook. Amen? If you're spending more money on everything else, and you're not investing in that which is eternal, I just, I, my heart breaks for you. You're missing out. True and everlasting riches is a right standing before God. Do you think there's a dollar amount I would take? Do you think there's any amount of money I wouldn't write a check for to get my son back? What do you think? Everything I have. And the reality is that when you stand before God on judgment day, I'm thankful because my son's in heaven and I know it and I'm going to see him again. You know, Jesus died, you know, God sent his son to die on the cross so we can have eternal life and so I can see my son again. And so you can see those people that you love again. But the point is, our focus needs to be on a right standing before Almighty God. You're not successful if you're a billionaire, if you're charismatic, if everybody knows your name and you don't know Jesus. And if you know Jesus and you've got the most 
low-grade job on the planet, you're a success. Because, guys, that's what matters in eternity. Amen? Amen. Secondly, how to respond to temptation. Well, trials are allowed by God. We saw this last week. Trials are things that, are, that you cannot avoid. God allows them to come into your life, and it's an opportunity for you to grow. Temptation does not come from God. It comes from the enemy. So trials are an opportunity for us to grow spiritually, that God allows to come into our, our, our lives to use it for his kingdom and his glory. Temptation is the enemy coming after you, the one who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Now here's the good news about temptation. It's not just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. Because when you resist the devil, what does he do? He flees from you. So here's the point. When temptation comes, here's, here's the prayer that we pray amiss often. And I hear, I've heard it a thousand times. Pastor, pray that I won't be tempted anymore. Well, I don't pray to Satan. Can I get an amen to that? Because Satan's the one who tempts you. So the prayer isn't, Lord, remove the temptation. He's not the one tempting you. It's, Lord, give me the strength to take the way of escape when I'm tempted. Because now you grow through it. So temptation isn't just an opportunity to fail. It's an opportunity to grow. Mark and I talked about this often. That Mark, when you're tempted, just remember you can grow. It's true for everyone in the room, amen? That with temptation, we can grow spiritually. Then finally, how to respond in tense or difficult situations. You'll notice on the bottom there, this is the old youth pastor me, blow your top, blow your testimony, amen? So make sure you don't do that. All right. Let's begin there in verse 9, picking up where we left off last week, of marks of a mature Christian. First, how to view the temporary riches of this world. Verse 9, it says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. While worldly riches tend to place a value on one's life in the eyes of the world, and it's tragic that somehow poor people are seen in some people's eyes as less important or less significant, and wealthy people are seen to, like they have more of a, you know, they're, they're more popular, they're, they have more influence, and they may have that using their finances, but they're of no greater value in the eyes of God, and they should not be in any greater value in the eyes of us. Well, the Bible even tells us, you know, not to make the mistake of looking at people and valuing people. You know, don't put the guy who gives the lot and put the best seat, right? Be careful. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, and we need to look at the heart of people. The poor seen again, less important. Words and thoughts tend to uh, carry less weight, treated by others with less respect or honor. Wealthy, on the other hand, honored by men, seen as being more successful, have the ability, again, to pay others, surround themselves with people that will care for them. They wear the finest clothes, you know, have the greatest entertainment. If you're ever wondering how, you know, again, nothing wrong with having wealth. I know several people in this church, you do very well, and God bless you. That's fine. But just make sure, again, that is not the priority and the passion of your life. Jesus is. Amen. Lord, Pastor Rob always says, if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. You know, it shouldn't be, it should, this is not the, that we're, we're the wealth that God uses, puts in our lives, whatever that is, our gifts, our times, our talents. He doesn't give it so we can sit on it. He gives it so we can give it away and use it for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Most often, the result of 
such wealth as a sense of self-importance and pride, and sometimes even to feel that you're better than other people. So he says the poor, they often feel lowly and less significant. And it says here, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. We can go, here's the, the foot of the cross levels everybody out. And it doesn't matter if you're the wealthy person or the poor person or where you're from or what your background is or what language you speak. Guys, when we come to the foot of the cross, we're all on the same level ground. And often, in saying here, the poor person, let them be exalted because of who they are in Christ, because of their relationship with the Lord. Let them be lifted up. And let the one who's full of himself be brought to the end of himself, that he might come humbly and broken before the Lord. See, the saddest thing we can do is live a life without coming to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The cross elevates the poor to realize that they are valuable in the eyes of God, just as valuable as anyone else. And at the same time, it can humble the rich. It makes him realize that he isn't more important than anyone else. Remember the Pharisees, they go in and they give and they make a show out of it. You know, let me just make a big show. And, and the poor man, you know, the widow goes up with her two mites and drops it in and walks off. And Jesus says she's given more than anyone else. See, God's not impressed with your bank account. He's just not. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need you. You need him. Can I get an amen to that? He's not impressed with your background, your resume. He could care less. What he cares about is you. What he cares about is your heart. What he cares about is where you spend eternity. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. He was willing to suffer as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. Guys, we need to take the scorecard off the bank account. Take the scorecard off of how popular and how many followers you have. Stop it already. <laughs> what really matters is who we are with the Lord. It says there in verse 10, as a flower of the field, never had dry mouth in my life, but since my son went to heaven, it's nonstop. As exposed, it says there, as a flower of the field, well, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will fade away in his pursuits. As exposure to the heat of the sun causes the beautiful but temporal flower to wither up and die, so too the exposure of the S-O-N will bring the rich man low. The man who's putting his faith in his riches is going to be brought to the end of himself. And, in, and the, again, everything that in this world is so important, you find out isn't all that important. The only thing that matters is people. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven all by ourselves. The most selfish thing we can do is be so, so wound up in our own comfort and all our hobbies and doing the things that we want to do and accumulating wealth to, to a point where we don't even need it anymore. And we're doing all of that and we're too busy to minister to anybody. We're too busy to get plugged into your local church. We're too busy to share our faith with somebody else. Again, to me, you can be well, you know, it's, it's tragic, but it's true. You can have a saved soul and a wasted life. And my heart would be that that would not be the case for us. There would be an urgency and a burden. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus hung on a cross for us. We can make a stand for him. Amen? 
Don't deny him. Don't be ashamed of him. The earthly wealth of the rich man is a temporary and fleeting as a flower in a field that gets melted away. His source of exaltation and importance and entitlement. See that flower, for the moment that it blooms, is beautiful. And then when the heat hits it, it turns into you know, compost. It's done. And the same is true when we're exalted by the world. By the way, if the world's exalting you, look out. We don't want the praise of the world. We want, the, we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is what we want to hear. That should be our seven-word 401k, amen? As every flower dies, its beauty is gone forever. So too every rich man will die. His source of pride and self-worth gone forever. God is not impressed by our wealth. A mature believer recognizes that the riches of this world are only temporary. Now again, let me, just make, let me have some balance here. You guys all know I have a full-time job. And I want to be the best worker in the building. Gift there early, stay late, do my job as unto the Lord, honor God, represent Jesus well, recognize it's my mission field. So we should do, we should be the hardest workers in the building. Amen to that. Amen. And we should not be lazy. Laziness is sin. Read Proverbs, okay? <laughs> lazy man laying down, camping food up to his mouth, and you know, so hinge turns on a door, so a lazy man turns over in his bed. Get up and get to work. Amen. Amen. But that being said, Work is something we do to live. It's not what we live to do. And when we work, we want to work hard. We want to honor God. It's our mission field. When you show up at work uh, tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. And you'd be in salt and light there. And when you're there, you need to represent the Lord and do your job in a way that honors God. But that being said, your career and in in your pursuit of wealth must never be more important than serving the Lord. You know what true riches is? It's a right standing before God. There is no check that you can write on Judgment Day to be saved. Because it was already paid for. It was paid in full. It is finished. To die. Jesus paid the price for you. And guys, there's no amount, there's no check you can write if you reject him and still get into heaven. Ask Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. The rich man's in, torch, in torment, and the beggar that was out at the gates outside of his house is in heaven. Now again, I want to make it really clear. I'm not bagging on being wealthy as long as that wealth is something God gave you, and you are using it not just for your comfort, but for the kingdom of God. Amen? Because it's so easy to allow that to consume us and to be the scorecard of how well we're doing. The cross brings glory to the lowly brother. At the same time, it humbles the rich. The lowly brother sees firsthand how truly valuable he is to God. I'm sorry. This makes me think of Mark. You know, he, he dealt with depression, and he was the lowly brother, but he knows now how valuable he is to God. Yeah. And my prayer, if there's anybody else here like that, that you would know how valuable you are to God. We all come to Christ the same way. Rich or poor, more intelligent, less intelligent, you know, it doesn't matter. We all come to Christ the same way. That rich man realizes how truly worthless the temporal riches of this world are when compared to the eternal riches found in Christ. I don't want to see, I, I, my prayer is that we will all be there together. I don't want one of you not to enter in 
I don't want one of you to spend eternity separated from Almighty God. And I'm here to minister to you any way that I can. And so are our pastors, and so is the rest of this church. You guys are the most loving church I've ever seen. And that's because of the grace of God. Amen? So point number one, how we view temporary riches of the world. Number two, how we respond to temptation. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man. That's like it says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy is the man who does what? Endures temptation. The word endure there, we saw it last week. It was, it was uh, defined as persistence. And the word is hupomone, and it just means to stay under. So it's staying under a weight. So there's a weight poured out on you, and we want to escape it. But that weight is how you grow, and that's how you become more strong. So we don't want to flee from it. We want to stay faithful under it. And so the one who endures temptation. So when the temptation comes, again, temptation by itself is not sin. Let me make that really clear. Temptation is not sin. Succumbing to temptation is sin. So when you're tempted, don't condemn yourself and say, wow, I just sinned. I was tempted. No, that came from the enemy. Now it's up to us on how we are going to respond. Count all joy, my brother, when you fall into various trials, for trials produce patience. That's the same word that we see here. So it's patience, endurance produced through trials. It is the same patience and endurance needed to avoid temptation. Let me say that again. So the patience and endurance that trials give you more spiritual muscles. Let's just use an analogy. So now you have more spiritual muscles because you've been through trials and you've been strengthened in your faith. Well, it's that same endurance and strength that comes from the trials that gives you the ability to endure the temptation. This is why we count it all joy when we fall into various trials, because the trials are not wasted. They mold us more into the image of our Savior, and they give us greater strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the temptation when it comes. Does that make sense? That's the exhortation that's taking place here. The word there for temptation is a trial of a man's fidelity, integrity, or virtue. Your fidelity, your integrity, and your virtue are being put on trial when you're tempted. It's been said that reputation is who you are when everyone's watching, and character is who you are when no one's watching. And most often, I think most of our temptations, a good amount of our temptations, come when we're alone. Come when there's less accountability. This is why it's important that we remain in fellowship. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. And we need to be in fellowship. We need to be with our, and I'm, you know, hey, those you watch on live stream, we love you. We'll give you directions. Can I get an amen? <laughs> if you live far away, God bless you. Find a church near you. Amen. We need to be in fellowship. But what's the exhortation here again is the temptation is putting your integrity on trial. And again, here we are, the, this act of enticement to sin that comes from the enemy while our response to both trials and temptations reveal the depths of our faith and our character, again, they're very different in their origin and nature. Again, trials are unavoidable. We saw that last week. That was the word that was used about a trial. Unavoidable circumstances placed in our lives by God to grow us spiritually. Temptation or enticements to sin that originate with Satan. Temptation is a common, if not constant, occurrence in our lives. We're tempted every day. 
Probably many times a day. Amen? Amen. So with temptation comes an opportunity to fall or an opportunity to grow. And again, through trials, we're strengthened so that we can endure temptation. Too often we, the temptation is something that the enemy, one of the things the enemy loves to do, if he can't take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God until you get there. He wants you on the sideline. He wants your testimony destroyed. He wants that your words have no value anymore. Even though you still know the Lord, nobody wants to hear what you have to say because you're a walking hypocrite. And so the enemy wants to destroy that in all of us. And we need to wake up every morning saying, Lord, today, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Keep me humble, broken, and desperate. You need to begin the day with the Lord. Let me encourage you. You want to overcome temptation? Start your day with daily devotions and read your Bible. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Open it, read it, obey it. Amen? Amen. And if we open the word, it's amazing how different I am in traffic if I had devotions or if I didn't. (laughs) Amen? You spend time with the Lord, hey, the guy cuts you off, you pray for him. You didn't spend time in the word, you might do something you regret. So it begins with that intimate fellowship with God that prepares us for the temptations that will be coming today. By the way, the enemy will also whisper in your ear when he tempts you, don't worry, you're already forgiven. You can go ahead and do this. He'll forgive you. Amen? Anybody else ever heard that besides me? Well, you're already saved. You're already going to heaven. It's okay. Yeah, yeah you're, still, you're going to heaven as by fire, but you're going to heaven... But you know what happens is you're, you're missing out on being used for the kingdom of God. I don't want to be separated from the Lord for five seconds. That's a, a mark of spiritual maturity is how much time between when you sin and when you repent gets less and less and less and less. You know, it might have been a week before, then it comes a day, and then it's an hour, then it's 10 minutes, and then it's a minute, then it's five seconds, and then it's a nanosecond. You get convicted and you're already, Lord, forgive me. That's a mark of spiritual maturity, growing in faith. We seem to be tempted everywhere we turn. Just too many things being placed in front of our eyes. As our youth pastor, Joshua Camper, calls this, this is digital crack. Amen. Some of you left without your phone, went back and got it. Forgot your Bible, I'll use one of theirs. Amen. Just saying. You have your Bible in your hand. If you had your Bible in your hand half as much as you had your phone in your hand, what kind of spiritual giant would you be? (laughs) Everywhere we turn, we face temptation to do something wrong, to cheat a little so we save time or money doing your taxes, to respond in anger when we feel we've been slighted, to satisfy a fleshly desire, whatever that might be. And temptation is something we all have to deal with. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. In other words, the temptations you face are the same ones everyone else does. Now, he may know what your pet thing is. I've said this before, and it, it's true. I have my own struggles, believe me. But you could, you could put 500 pounds of cocaine in my driveway, leave it there for 10 years, I'm not going near it. That's not a problem. But guess what? There's other people where that might be a problem, but the areas where I struggle, it's not a problem for them. So we all have areas where we're tempted. 
We all need to be on guard, putting on the whole armor of God, being ready and prepared to make a stand when we are tempted by the enemy. Often we want to blame God for our temptation. Adam, what did he do? He blamed his wife. And then he blamed God. He said, and you gave her to me. He put two things in front of him. Adam, you've sinned. Uh, Well, hey, the woman you gave me, it's you two. You know, when confronted with sin, we could do one of three things. We could make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And too often, we're pointing the finger at somebody else or making an excuse. You get pulled over speeding. Speeding is sin. Uh Uh-oh, we've all sinned a lot. (laughs) As my grandson Judah would say, a lot. But then we get pulled over, but everybody else is driving the same speed. That's making excuses and accusing others, amen? The reality is that, guys, we don't need to be pointing at others. We need to be examining our own hearts. God's never the one who tempts us, as we're about to see here. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, as you continue there, it says, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Without every temptation, with every temptation, God provides a way of escape, and it's up to us to take it. He provides it every time. Haven't you been tempted to do something that God will just, you just see it so clearly? I remember a friend many years ago. I hadn't talked to this guy in probably 10 years. God puts him on my mind. I find him in my contacts. I call him on the phone. This is what happens when you drive a lot for work. So I'm just driving. I have a two-hour drive. I call people. I have worship music on. I listen to the word. A lot of ministry takes place when I'm driving. And I'm driving along. God puts this guy in my heart. And I, I dial the number, and he, and he answers, and he goes, okay. and he just starts, I go, what's up, bro? How you been, man? He goes, how did you even get my number? I said, I was in my phone. And then we start talking. He was registering at a hotel to commit adultery with a woman that he worked with. My phone, is I had nothing to do with that. I just, God's like, hello, amen. You know what you call that? A way of escape, amen. See, with temptation, it's not always that dramatic, but God will give you that opportunity. Maybe you're about to say something that you know you shouldn't say. Maybe you're angry. You're about to say it, and someone will interrupt the conversation, and there's your chance to just shutty town, amen. Time to just close it. But see, God gives opportunities. God gives us a way of escape. Guys, he doesn't tempt us beyond what we're able. The Bible says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the way of escape is only possible if you're walking in the Holy Spirit. If you're not walking in the, without him, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if I'm not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm defenseless against the enemy. It says there at the, it says there in verse 12, when he has been approved, when he has passed the test, when he's taken the way of escape, when he's responded in the power of the Holy Spirit, what does it say? So when he's done that, when he has passed the test, when he's turned away from the temptation, when the the girl walks by him clothed in a way she shouldn't be and he doesn't turn around and follow her, when that temptation comes along, whatever it might be, to cheat on you and you do the right thing, the, and the Holy Spirit convicts you. Now, what is the response? Then it says, when you've done that, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is a reward for remaining faithful in the face of 
temptation. You know what's amazing to me? Jesus paid the price. He's the one who redeems us and forgives us. He suffered as if he lived our life so we could be rewarded as if we lived his. And then he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. Then he makes the way of escape so that when we're tempted and all we do is simply obey him and then it says he gives us a crown of life. What an amazing God we serve. I think all those crowns are gonna be back at his feet when we get to heaven where they belong. God makes the way of escape. He empowers us by his spirit. Then he rewards us for taking it. What an amazing thing. It says there, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I want you to notice the, the connection between obedience and love. You know, the, the highest form of worship is obedience. It says in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So the greatest form of worship is obedience. And I would also say that when you truly love the Lord, obeying him is not a have to, it's a get to. You hear me say often that the word of God is not a, a fence or wall to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a, you know, it's a... Uh, there you go, guardrail. Somebody comes to our church. <laughs> it's a guardrail to keep from driving off a cliff. Amen? Amen? So God gives us his law because he loves us, because he knows what's best for us, because he doesn't want to see us harmed. He doesn't want to be separated from us. And so too often people say, oh, the Bible, that will keep me from having fun. No, it's going to keep you from destroying yourself. Amen. It's going to keep you from falling into a pit you can't get out of. Amen? It's going to destroy you. And so praise God. But, so, but when we really love the Lord, we want to obey him. And you know what? Because I love him, obeying him, it's a get to. I get to obey the Lord. That's why they're called a doulos. It's a, it's a slave by choice where the debt's already been paid. And they say, well, I just want to stay because I love my master and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. People have asked me since my some went to heaven. Do I ask God why? And the answer is no, I don't. Answer them, what? What do, you want, what do you want me to learn? How are you going to use this for your glory? And he already has. And he will continue to do so. But at the same time, we will praise him no matter what. So we praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity. That's what Job said after 10 of his children were killed. He lost everything. He's covered in boils. He's scraping his boils with the shot of clay and Satan left his wife on purpose because she said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he says, shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? Lord, we will always praise you no matter what because he's worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. He's a great and an awesome God. Obedience is the highest form of worship. It signifies surrendering my will to his. There's no greater prayer to pray than the prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, it's our heart. It should be, Lord, not my will, your will. If there's any other way, but nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. That should be our heart. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. There it is. In case you're wondering where it says it, let no one say, when he is tempted. Notice it doesn't say if. If he is tempted. When he is tempted. Who's been tempted in the last week? 
If, you, if your hand's not up, then you, you just went for it, didn't even know it was temptation. Can I get an amen to that? Because you, know te- well, you know when you're being tempted to say something, look at something, do something, act in a certain way. You know when you're being tempted. Just as trials are inevitable, so is temptation. It must be prepared for both of them ahead of time. And again, by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Begin your day in prayer, spend your day in prayer, end your day in prayer. Start your day praying, put God on speakerphone, and don't hang up. Amen? Continue to cry out to the Lord. Talk to God all day. I tell you, one of my favorite prayers, you know what it is. It's two words. What is it? Lord, help. I pray that often. Praying it more now than ever. How do we do it? We have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot, we cannot overcome the temptation without the Lord. We cannot stand strong in the midst of trials without the Lord. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. To him be the glory, amen? I'll give you an illustration. You get up in the morning, you're too busy to pray, you spent, or spend time in the word, you barrel down the road late to work, you're sitting impatiently at a light. Come on, come on, come on, come on, I'm late at the light. The car behind you isn't paying attention, rear ends you. Your head jerks back, airbag deploys. Trial. Amen. You couldn't have avoided it. Maybe he wouldn't have hit you if you prayed that morning, but <laughs> so it's an unavoidable situation placed there by God. The opportunity to reflect God and grow spiritually or to get out of your car and take a moment, uh, you know, get out of your car, take a moment to get your bearings as you walk back. Satan shows up to tempt you. Who does this guy think he is? Tries to stir you up to anger, to get you to blow your testimony God makes a way of escape. It's a lot easier to take it if you had spent time in the Word. If you're worshiping in your car and someone rear-ended you, you're going to have a different attitude getting out of the car. Just amazing how that works. You know, it's been said they can tell what kind of person you are by who your friends are. Are you a friend of Jesus? Is Jesus your best friend? Because if he is, you'll reflect him. You're not perfect, but you'll be a reflection of the Lord. He's your best friend. Again, God doesn't tempt us to do evil. He instead makes the way of escape. If even the smallest temptation, ultimately, he made the way of escape for all sin through the cross of Calvary. Sadly, instead of running to God, we are prone to blame him when we are tempted. And and we've seen it all the time. Again, as I said, the example there being Adam. Again, he shifts the blame. Guys, it's never God's fault. It is never God's fault. It's our fault. Amen? Amen. Don't shake your fist at God. Don't point. It, don't, you don't know God if you're doing that. But notice on the contrary, it says, but each of you, when is tempted, when he is drawn away by what? What is his, his what? Own desires and enticed. So temptation, while Satan brings it, too often it originates with our own desires. Now, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not the opposite of God. He's toast compared to God. Amen? You know, he's, he's not everywhere at once. And, and, you know, we don't need to address him or worry about him. Let's let Jesus, take, let God take care of him. Amen? But that being said, as you have a desire, that desire that's in your heart is typically where the temptation is going to come. And so that's where the enemy will come, knowing that this is a frailty in your life and will seek to tempt you. 
So it's when we are, temptation doesn't come from God. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. Temptation draws us towards sin, but the progression towards sin begins with us. Notice it says when we're drawn away. It's like luring an animal. That word literally means like luring an animal into a trap. So we're being drawn away by our own desires. And, you know, you're putting out, you know, a you know, steak for a, a wild animal to come and you're drawing him in, knowing that the, the ground's going to fall out underneath him. And Satan does the same thing. He's luring you with something that entices you. He's not going to lure me with Brussels sprouts. Amen. He's not going to draw you away with something you don't care about. It's going to be something that hits you right where your, where your flesh lives, that entices you. And he's going to draw you toward it, knowing that if you bite, it's a trap. The word entice there means, again, to bait, to coax, again, to entice. Sin always seems attractive, so alluring, so desirable, but it's always a baited hook. Amen? Sin can look really, really good. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Again, if it wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't do it. It feeds our flesh. It brings some level of satisfaction to our flesh. But it's a baited hook that as soon as you bite down on it, you're caught. As soon as you bite down on it, there's going to be pain. As soon as you bite down on it, you're going to know separation from the Lord, at least for a time. And the enemy wants to entice you. A hook dangling in front of us is not going to get us. It is when we're, we bite down that we, are, get, that we get snagged. If it's just hanging there and we resist it, we, if we, as a fish, we turn and swim away from it, walk away from it. There's no consequence. If anything, we grow. Resist the devil? He goes, this guy's not taking the bait. I'm going after him. He leaves you alone. When our desires get the best of us, we take the bait. Note the progression in the next verse, look at verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth? It's conceived. Its conception requires two things to interact. It's a reproductive word, like sperm and an egg. It, they come together to create something. And the word conceived, the conception, requires two things. And in this case... The conception comes when temptation and my fleshly desires come together. So I have a desire, I have a, an area of my life where I struggle. And then the temptation comes, and when we bring those two things together, that's when sin takes place. And the tragic part is, if we don't repent of that, and we continue down that road, the eventual end is death. Sin brings forth death. One out of every one person dies. Amen? Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here's this enticement. Temptation alone is not sin. It's when we, it comes together with my desires that it produces sin, that sin left unchecked produces death. So we have a choice. We can, redempt, we can resist temptation or embrace it. Two men in the Bible, really quickly, similar in temptations, dealt with them in opposite ways. Joseph was a servant in the house of a high-ranking Egyptian named Potiphar. Joseph was put in charge of the house, and things went very well for him. But Potiphar's wife began to desire Joseph, and she began to proposition him day after day. But Joseph knew that to give in to this temptation would be sin. 
Finally, she cornered him. Here it is, temptation, coming hard. She grabbed a hold of his coat and demanded him, but he ran away, leaving his coat behind. He did, as Paul later instructed him, instructed us to do in 2 Timothy, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness. Joseph was, was a man who found victory over temptation. So he was tempted and he ran from it, knowing it would probably have great consequences, but he did it anyway. The other example, the conflicting, and both of these are men of God. But another man faced a somewhat similar situation. His name was David. He should have been at work, should have been out on the battle lines. He was the king. He should have been fighting with the army. But he decided to stay home and sleep in. <laughs> Just saying. While he was walking around, he spied a woman next door named Bathsheba. He was tempted by her beauty, and although she was married, he fell into sin with her. Joseph was a servant. David was a king. Joseph was poor. David was rich. Joseph had no wife. David had many. Joseph was being pursued by a woman. David was not. The odds were against Joseph, and David had every advantage. You see, temptation to sin doesn't have to do with your position in life. It doesn't have to do with your situation, with your income. What it does have to do with is where your heart is with the Lord. It's all about where your heart is with the Lord. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. G J Joseph resisted temptation. It was never joined to his will. Temptation plus will and desire gives birth to sin. Sin brings forth death, which is separation from God, seeking to destroy you. Sin promises pleasure, produces death. The devil's a liar. He's the father of lies. He lies to you all day, every day. You know how you recognize his lies? You know the truth. Spend time in God's word. Again, if we, the Bible says we desire the word of God more than our necessary food. If you opened your Bible as much as you opened the fridge, what kind of spiritual giants would we be? We'd be, we'd be thinner and more on fire for God. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I love this. James burdened for these precious believers that they not be deceived about the ultimate effects of sin. It says in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall, he shall also reap. You cannot walk in open disobedience against God and expect God to bless your life. Again, it's a guardrail keeping you from driving off the cliff. God knows what's best for us. Now, how many of you guys sinned in the last week? Okay. Amen. But here's, here's how we know how we're doing with the Lord. When we sin, we're gripped. When we sin, we're convicted. And it drives us to our knees. And Christians aren't sinless, but we should sin less. Amen. Because we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Again, we're not getting into heaven because we're good. We're getting in there because he's good. But his spirit lives inside of us. And he gives us the strength to say no to temptation, to resist the devil that he might flee from us, and to walk empowered by his Holy Spirit. Again, that which you sow, that he shall also reap. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift 
is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Aren't you glad our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? All his promises are yes and amen. Everything the word of God says is true, and we can trust him. You know what? One of the reasons I can stand here today is I trust the character of my God. And I know he is faithful. And he's taken way better care of my son than I ever could. And I'm thankful for that. The direct contrast, the heavy consequences of sin as sin brings forth death, but every good and perfect gift comes from above. See, God is good all the time. And all the time, amen. Everything God, good comes from God. If we walk with him, we're not missing out on anything. I've had people that I've witnessed to over the years, well, you know, do I, have to, do I have to give up sleeping with women? Yes. Quit being a, 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 you know, a serial abuser of women. Yes, stop it. I'll have to like get married. Yes, honor, yes, I have to quit drinking, yes. I have to quit all these things that are destroying. Do I have to quit all the things that are destroying my life? Yes. <laughs> we give up that which is destroying us to inherit that, that which is eternal and will bless us. Man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen? Let that stuff go. God is good all the time. Everything good comes from him. Sin promises pleasure, produces death. God sent his son to deliver men from death. Does only good all the time. Comes down from the father of lights. He's the creator of the sun, the moon, and the stars. It speaks of his greatness, his power, and his authority. This is why we as believers should not walk in fear, but walk by faith. We have nothing to fear. If God is for you, who can be against you? You plus God is a majority. Amen? And that's why you don't all need to leave California. We need some Christians to stay here. This is a big, we should be importing missionaries to California. Amen? This place needs Jesus so bad. Come on down, right? But we don't need to walk in fear. And whoever wins the next election, I'll vote. I'll vote the right way. I'll honor God in it. But God's still on the throne no matter who's in office. That's where our peace comes from, guys. Amen? I'm really bummed out. My guy didn't win. So what? I'm still going to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? Still going to heaven, your name's still written in the Did they erase your name in the Lamb's book? Until that happens, you got nothing to worry about. Don't get so caught up. We probably should blow up our phones. Social media. I'm in a great mood. And I start doing this. Ah, oh, what? Why? You know, oh, man. You know. Amen? I don't even call it the news anymore. I call it the bad news. That's all it is. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's the father of lights. He's the creator of all things. He's almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Our God is all-powerful and unchanging. As James encourages these early Christians who are facing great trials and temptation and persecution, he reminds them of both the greatness and the faithfulness of our God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. While sin produces death, God is good. Satan tempts, God blesses. He doesn't draw us away, but pours out 
his love upon us. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He is the all-powerful creator of all things who never changes. He brought us forth, it says there, from the word of truth. He brought us forth. He begat us. He birthed us through what? The word of truth. The word of truth is the word of God. See, this is how we're born again. Amen? It says we're birthed through the word of God. This is why, I'm not picking on anybody, okay? But it breaks my heart that churches are teaching the Bible less and less and pop psychology and seven steps of financial freedom and three ways to overcome your anger and marriage series. And guys, we need the word of God because the faith comes by hearing and hearing by. It's right there. <laughs> Amen. Theme verse of the church. Point is that guys, we need our focus and our passion. We were birthed by the word of God. Somebody taught it to you. Or you opened it up and read it, and the word of God pierced your heart, and you were convicted by it, and it caused you to repent, which means I was headed in this direction, to change your mind and change your heart, and turn around and surrender your life to the Lord, and that's when you were born again, when you became a new creation in Christ, when old things have passed away and all things became new. Guys, we were birthed by the word of God. I have a library with a lot of books. I, don't, I probably should get rid of all of them. Because I've got 200 books I've read the first two chapters of. Because here's what, and there's nothing wrong with books. As long as this is meat and potatoes and those are vitamins. As long as this is where you spend most of your time. And it's okay to grab a book here and there to add to it. But guys, this is the, I got 66 books right here that I need to study and read and apply to my life. He brought us forth by the word of truth. You know, the word of truth speaks of the gospel, but who else is the word? Jesus. Jesus. You were saved by his word, by the Savior, who is the word. While sin produces death, God created us, gave us physical life, ministered the word of truth to us, and gave us a spiritual eternal life, that we might be a kind of first fruits. The word first fruits there, this word would have great meaning to these Jewish converts to Christianity. The Old Testament Jews brought their first fruits of harvest to the Lord as an expression of devotion and obedience. And first fruits is the first and finest of a much, of a much greater harvest. Those discouraged early Christians were the first fruits of a great harvest. See, they had no idea that there they were, the first century, the very first Christians who walked the planet. That here we would be 2,000 years later, and there'd be churches everywhere, and we've seen God do a great and an awesome work. And see, guys, when we turn our life over to the Lord, it's, it, it shouldn't be that we're the only one impacted by it. It should impact everybody we know. It should have an impact on everybody we work with. It should have an impact on our neighbors and everybody we come into contact with. They should know, they should know us by the love we have one for another, that we serve a faithful, a loving, and a merciful God. Final point. So we see how to respond to temptation. And now finally, how to respond to tense and difficult situations. Let's be transparent. Lying's a sin. How many of you sometimes, not always, sometimes can get angry? Okay. Okay. Get ready. Okay. Ready? Verse 19. So then, my brethren, let every man be, slow to, be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, 
For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That could also say the anger of man or the anger of woman does not produce. Going out and getting angry is not going to produce good results. Amen. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kind. Anger's not in there. Amen. We should not be, we should, you know what? Christians should not be angry or complainers. Amen. Well, you know what? That's not fair. You going to heaven? Yes. Okay. Clearing it up. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Keep the focus on the eternal. Got nothing to complain about. My best friend created the universe. I think that's pretty solid. Amen. James' words of encouragement here to these believers dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, undergoing unbelievable persecution, says, don't forget that God is good. What's happening to you will work out for the good ultimately. Therefore, don't be cynical. Don't be quick to complain about your situation. Instead, stop speaking, start listening, and you'll hear God's voice in your trial. That was a pastor day paraphrase of slow to speak, slow to, uh, slow to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let me they say it again. Therefore, don't be cynical. Don't be quick to complain about your situation. Instead, stop speaking, start listening, and you'll hear God's voice in your trial. Amen? Be slow to speak. Shut it. Amen? <laughs> just, be, just listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth. Use them proportionally. Amen? <laughs> listen. Wait upon the Lord. Listen for that still, small voice. Don't move until he speaks to you. Wait upon the Lord. He cares about you. He loves you again. So much you'd rather die than live without you. He's got the, your hairs numbered on your head. Because see, the reason we need to be still, the reason, the reason we need to listen for his still, small voice is verse 20. Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. One of the quickest ways to blow your testimony is through an angry, bitter, and argumentative response even to unjust treatment. Blow your top, blow your testimony. Get angry, explode. God's not going to be glorified. I hope my daughter and son-in-law don't mind me sharing this. When they first took over their church, there were some issues. Some will go into detail. There was some stuff going on in their church. And it was actually, they had Zoomed this meeting, and I was watching. And the anger of dad does not produce the righteousness of God. I want to get on a plane and correct some people. Come correct, amen? I had some people I wanted, to, and I'm like, the anger of dad does not produce the righteousness of God, amen? Does God care more about those difficulties and those trials than we do? He does. And we don't need to interrupt and we don't need to do it in anger because it's not going to represent God well. It's not a reflection of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a reflection of our flesh. Amen? We want to win people, not arguments. Amen? I want to see people saved. I, don't want, I can win an argument and then have no opportunity to ever minister to that person again. You can go on social media. I showed that guy. What did you show him? The love of Jesus or just how to be bitter? Amen. As Christians, let me just say this, and, and you know, some of you are gonna get mad. I mean, that's all right. You know, I love you. You guys know I love you. Amen. You know, I love you. Okay. Amen. 
Our faith is not in Donald Trump. It's in Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, I'm in my hidden with presidency. What are we going to do now? God's on the throne. Let's not lose our minds. Amen? Okay, ready? I've already got your man. Let me get your man some more. What you decide about the vaccines between you and God. And we're not dividing over that. Whether you want to wear a mask or not, that's between you and God. We're not going to divide over that. We're going to love people. We're going to point them to Jesus, and we're going to sing his praises, and, we're going to, we're, and by his spirit, we're going to represent him well. I want to, if the guy's, the opposite side of everything is me, I still want to tell him about Jesus. I don't want to say, well, well you, got that, you got that adult diaper on your face. What's wrong with you? Oh, that's great. <laughs> by the way, you want to come to church on Sunday? You didn't get the vaccine. You hate people. You got the vaccine. You're an idiot. Stop. We're not going to tolerate that here, by the way. We don't want the anger of Dave to produce. <laughs> we don't want that either. Let's be kind. Let's be loving. By the way, you guys know I love you so much. I can hardly stand it. I can hardly stand it. No other place I'd rather be. No group of people I'd rather serve than you. It's a get-to. James didn't just tell them to knock it off, but gives them a recipe for a godly response. Again, let me finish with this. They were being persecuted. I get it. They were being scattered from their homes. They've been, it would be easy to be angry and bitter, and Jesus' recipe was be swift to hear. Instead of blowing up, it's time to listen. Listen, be other-centered. Wrath is self-centered. You're angry because you, you're allowing your flesh to be in charge. Be slow to speak. Listen. Don't be quick to respond. Wait upon the Holy Spirit's leading. Stop speaking. Start listening. You'll hear God's voice in the trial. And rather than complain, trust God. Nothing good happens when our testimony is blown. If we respond, and our testimony is blown, if we respond as if God is not in control. Why are you angry if you know that God's in control? We cannot preach the sovereignty of God on Sunday and act like we don't believe in it on Monday. Is he still in charge? He's still on the throne? Is he still faithful? Is he still loving God? Are all his promises true? Is he coming back for us soon? Is heaven better? Can't wait. So in closing, marks of a mature Christian. Number one, how we view the temporary riches of this life. Is it a measure of success? Or do you recognize it's only temporary? The true riches come from standing a right standing for Almighty God. How do we respond to temptation? Well, God allows trials to grow us spiritually. Satan tempts us to distract us, to draw us away from the Lord and his will for our lives, even to destroy us if possible. While God gives us good and perfect gifts, Satan seeks only destruction. With temptation, God makes a way of escape. Temptation is not only an opportunity to fall, but an opportunity to grow spiritually. Resist the devil, he flee from you. And how we respond to tense and difficult situations, may we be swift to hear slow to speak, slow to wrath. We don't want to blow our tops and blow our testimonies. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you for your word. I ask, Lord, that you would mold our hearts, that we would take what we've learned today and we'd apply it to our lives tomorrow. Help us, Lord, to be people who are slow to speak. Help us to be people that are swift to hear 
to listen to that still small voice. Help us not to get caught up in the riches of this world as the priority and passion of our life. Lord, help us when temptation comes. We know you will bring the way of escape. But Lord, help it to strengthen us through the trials so we'll be ready for the temptation. Lord, as the trials come, may we see them as you building our spiritual muscles so we're ready when the next temptation comes. Help us to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We ask, O oh Lord, that we know the devil will flee if we resist him. Help us not to bite down on that hook, but to turn away and keep our eyes on you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,